Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how come you never like any of my posts on Facebook? Because I try to stay off Facebook as much as possible. <laughs> what about Instagram and <laughs> WhatsApp? All uh, right. Therein lies the rub. I do use Instagram quite a bit. Sometimes I even message you on Instagram or send you cat photos or other weird memes. I do use WhatsApp, mm -hmm. particularly with friends who live outside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I even use the Oculus headset at night like a real nerd. Wow. What about you? How much time do you spend on Facebook these days? Uh, I used to spend hours on Instagram, but I set up a notification on my phone to turn it off after 15 minutes. And you day. actually heed that. Yes. I ring the bell every day. Really? Yes. <laughs> you don't just like swipe it away and you're like, oh no, I really gotta go back to that cat content that Lauren sent me. No, it literally turns it off. Oh, wow. All right, this is impressive. Yeah. Do you think that all of us should be, I don't know, taking a step back from Facebook these days? Uh, that's a personal choice, but it's one that we should ask our guests. Let's talk about it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And this week, we are joined by Shireen Ghaffari, a senior correspondent at Recode, and Alex Heath, deputy editor at The Verge. Welcome, both of you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Now, you two are the co-hosts of the new season of the podcast, Land of the Giants. The show covers a different company every season. Past seasons have looked at pivotal moments in the histories of Netflix, Amazon, and Apple, among others. Season six, which premiered last week, is about Facebook's messy growth from a tiny startup and its transformation into the giant company we now call Meta. So Facebook is a huge topic, and the company's history is peppered with controversy. But on the first episode of Land of the Giants, you decided to go all the way back to the birth of the newsfeed. Why did you start there? Well, I think the newsfeed is the genesis of Facebook's really viral success in terms of being the de facto way people are sharing information with each other about their personal lives and the world. But it's also the genesis of a lot of the problems that they're still going through today. So we decided to go back to that moment. We actually talked to one of the, the key product managers on the newsfeed itself. Um, you know, I think one of the many hidden figures who helped shape the company. I'm looking back now um, all these years, what you know, what she learned and, and what went well, what went wrong. Yeah, and you know, Facebook's no stranger to controversy and they elicit a lot of strong emotions even to this day. And we thought it was interesting to go back to this first really big product announcement they did, which was the newsfeed, and <laughs> kind of tell the story of how there were literal physical protests because of this thing, um, mm -hmm. and it was it was a real scandal, and it was one of the first times Mark Zuckerberg had to deal with backlash like this, which is also very instructive of the many times he would have to do that going on from that period. Right, you mentioned how that product manager Rucci was actually the target of some harassment after changes were made to the newsfeed as well. Yeah, they had to get uh, security guards for the first time uh, in the office after the newsfeed came out. It's wild. Yeah, there was a Facebook group called Rucci is the Devil. It, it was intense. <laughs> oh, I don't mean to laugh. So you also talk about how MySpace was the biggest social network around the time that Facebook started. So like circa 2004, 2005. And you say that until Facebook did the news feed, no other social network really 
had that. I kind of remember, I don't know, my, I have to reach back into my memory here, but I remember MySpace having sort of like a feed of some sorts. I don't know, eventually it just got so cluttered with like spam and glitter and I don't know what the hell else was on there that maybe that's not really what it was. But you talk about how like Facebook intentionally moved away from this idea of browsing for things, like actively searching for things into something that just like, you know, appeared in a timeline. How did that fundamentally change the way we do social? Like, talk about, like, the details of that. Oh, gosh. I mean, in so many ways, right? It's really probably the most significant product contribution, for better or worse, that Facebook's had for the rest of the tech industry, right? You can't use any social app these days, really, without a feed that ranks based on some kind of engagement metric, and really Facebook invented that model. And yeah, there were very rudimentary feeds at the time, but you know they really invented the concept of a social feed. And you know you have to give them credit for that. Again, for for better or worse, uh, people have strong feelings about it, obviously, and kind of what the impact of it has been. But you know you could argue that it's 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 just complicated because you know as we say in the episode. Even as there were protests and one of the largest Facebook groups protesting Newsfeed was calling the lead PM Rucci the devil, they were watching user activity and user behavior just love the thing and they couldn't stop using it. And the actual hatred of the Newsfeed was spreading because of the Newsfeed. So it's this interesting also just information accelerant that started uh, in a really formative period for the company and really the internet at large. And we're still kind of living in the ramifications of that. Right. And to explain some of the backlash initially, it was a huge changing of the norms of privacy online about what we're comfortable sharing and being passively shared with other people, with our friends or strangers on the internet. And so in the case of all these you know, hate groups that popped up after the launch of Newsfeed, they were protesting this idea that if I break up with my significant other in college, uh, I'm making that change in my profile and then it's being broadcast to all my friends. People didn't mm-hmm. realize that kind of information would be, you know, without kind of their explicit notification put out there on a megaphone to the world. And so that's why you have this strong, strong reaction, but also it marks the beginning of a new norm. This is now, it's really not that controversial to know that when you post something online or when you change something on a public profile, that it will it will be shared. I think it was an important lesson for Facebook, right? The backlash of the newsfeed didn't really matter because it resulted in this huge increase in engagement. And it seems like it's a lesson that informed Facebook's product decision making going forward. Like you can really push things on your users and you can really upset your users, but still see big gains come out of it. And I think that's a lesson that, you know, not only informed what Facebook did, but what, as you said, what other companies in Silicon Valley started to do immediately after. Yeah, absolutely. It's this metrics driven, growth obsessed culture that Facebook pioneered really on behalf of Silicon Valley in the early 2010s that now has been kind of the playbook that any consumer internet company uses or startup uses in terms of, you know, the the conversation of like, we're going to you know, bench the success of the business based on something like daily active users was really a thing Facebook came up with. Yeah, I mean, I will say there were no consequences really for Facebook in the long term for this. Most people kind of came to terms with it that this this was the way social media and tech was going and that ultimately maybe Facebook knew us better than we know ourselves. We hear a lot from a young Mark Zuckerberg in the first couple episodes of this series. What was Zuck like back then? I love looking at the the tape of 
you know, Zuck back then because it's like the flip-flop era. It's the era where he had, you know, I'm CEO bitch on his business card. I don't know, can you, cur- <laughs> can you curse on the show? And it was before he had to become this statesman and this political figure and this international, I mean, really it's like superstar in terms of fame that I don't think any other tech founder has still to this day. So you get this just, and we talk, when we talked to Rucci and other people who were there early on, you just, you really do get the sense that they all had no idea how big this thing would become, which is like the classic Silicon Valley refrain, right? But I think with Facebook, it's absolutely spot on. Yeah, and he also has this attitude, even though he's incredibly young, it's not clear if Facebook's going to be a long-term success or not at this point. It's still it's kind of a startup. He has this kind of authoritative, know-it-all tone in this blog post that he writes, where he tells people mm-hmm. something like, calm down, breathe, relax, if I'm remembering right. And it's it's quite just sort of pedantic and like, listen, guys, I know you're all upset, but it's going to be okay. This newsfeed thing is going to work out. You can change your privacy settings. Here's how you do it. Almost putting the blame and responsibility on the user for not knowing how to navigate this system he's created. And so I do think you see these early signs of character that we see again and again in later kind of scandals, including, you know, Russian misinformation and Cambridge Analytica and his initial reaction is sort of to minimize the problem. And then once he realized how serious it was, he he actually writes another post and, you know, is a little, I think, more humble in, in his acknowledgement of the problem the second time around. It's so true. It's like if that era of Silicon Valley and our consumer tech experiences was defined by move fast and break things, which we will get to, it was also <laughs> partly defined by the saying, you're holding it wrong. Yeah. There was a lot of onus <laughs> put on users at the time when things weren't working or our privacy was being, um, I don't know, disrupted, interrupted, mm-hmm. that they, that when our phones wouldn't work, whatever it was, right? That was the famous thing with Apple that they would say, you're holding it wrong. Yeah. It's on you. All right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with more Meta Talk. Welcome back. We are here with Shireen Ghaffari from Recode and Alex Heath of The Verge. So episode two of Land of the Giants dropped this week, and uh, it became pretty apparent to me listening that you got a lot of key people to talk. You got Rucci, Shrep, Stamos, Pincus. In the case of ex-Facebook employees, I'm curious, uh, how eager were people to talk? It seems as though the company's culture is not that secretive, or am I missing something? I think it's shifted a lot. I think it's certainly, you know, there was an era of tech journalism where it was hard, really, you know, not a lot of people leaked about Facebook and there was this transparency, much like Google, this this real trust that whatever drama we have stays within the company and we're going to have these all hands and Q&As that are open where, where people are challenging executives, but we're not going to leak that to the outside world. I think that's obviously changed a lot. I think the Haugen leaks were, were a big notable shift in that mindset at the company. But even before that, there are moments that we analyze in the series where you see these tensions starting to crack and spill open into the public, I think really starting with the 2016 elections. Yeah. And, you know, getting people to talk about the early days is obviously different than getting them to talk about the here and now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got a lot of access and we talked to a lot of formers, too. And Facebook is has this kind of unusual culture now uh, post-Trump of a lot of senior people who have come out now that they've left and are very um, upset about how the company did things and have regrets. Not everyone is that way. We actually were very intentional about trying to find people who have nuanced views of these issues and don't see it as just, you know, Facebook. 
Facebook is bad or Facebook is good. And I think we, we did a good job of that. And I hope listeners of the series feel that way. But yeah, people have very, very strong feelings about the company, especially people who work there. This episode in particular, you cover Facebook's rapid growth and the company's now very infamous motto, move fast and break things. So this was like a big bet right, to become this platform for developers and in essence, become a social graph for the entire web. Was this the right move? I mean, not only from a business perspective, but from the perspective of how it has impacted society. How has that turned out? I would, I mean, I think it's up in the air of whether it was a good move. I think after doing the episode, probably not. I think there were there were parts of this era that worked well for Facebook, for example, like the login with Facebook still exists today. They got their tentacles in a lot of the open web at a critical time that allowed them to hoover up a lot of important data that made their ad targeting very valuable, even to this day. Um, had they stayed a walled garden with no developer activity through the early 2010s, Maybe they wouldn't be as powerful as they are today. But again, that whole era is kind of over now. And it, it failed spectacularly with, you know, the, the scandal of Cambridge Analytica. And when people realized kind of how they just let da- data flow off the platform in an unaudited way. So if they could go back, I bet they would do things a lot differently. Um, really, it's also a lesson of just like platform shifts, which we talk about later in the season. and I'm sure we'll talk about, but, you know, mobile was happening at this time and they were a little distracted thinking they were going to be their own platform on the open web. And turns out that Steve Jobs view of where things were going happened to be the more accurate one. And so they kind of got regulated to being just an app when for a brief moment in time, they were the kingmaker with companies like Zynga and Farmville. Yeah, I think there's two parts to the question of did Facebook make the right move of being the social graph of the internet? And I think in terms of how Facebook looks at it, at least internally, like with with having their users all be connected to each other and having all these friendships and families and connections happening on their platform, I, I think they would view it as a huge success. Whether society does or not, I think is a question that is still you know being answered and that's still being written. Now, in terms of were they right to open up their platform to other people like the makers of like Cambridge Analytica making a quiz on their platform, I think even they would say, no, that was the wrong decision. It led to probably the biggest scandal to ever hit them. And not only that, it just wasn't really working financially for them either as we get into in episode two. But I think the question about like ultimately (laughs) would we have been better off if Facebook never had a news feed is a really interesting one to pose. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's really a, a subjective answer based on your personal experience of social media and how responsible you think it is for for the ills that are happening in this world. Well, one thing that I can sort of sniff coming uh, in the rest of the season is this race to catch up on mobile because Facebook famously slept on the mobile revolution in a big way. But their big swing there was the acquisition of Instagram. If you could talk us through the reasoning behind that acquisition, like why would Facebook go after Instagram and what are the results that the company saw from it? Um, do you mean bourbon? Yes, bourbon. Bourbon. <laughs> BRBN. <laughs> I mean, I think as Alex was saying, Facebook had, it felt like it had missed the big shift to mobile, right? The iPhone was out there and people were developing these new apps. And this is a chance for Zuck to catch up and to lay his stake out in the mobile market. As we all know, you know, there's an argument that it was anti-competitive, and that's something that's you know being litigated right now. But just from a purely business perspective as well here, like 
it makes total sense if the company's already feeling insecure about its progress on the next major technological shift that they would want to acquire a company that's at the forefront of that. And it was one of the best bets they made, right? People at the time we talk about thought it was so crazy to spend a billion dollars on a a mobile app. I think that was the, the record at that time for the cost of mobile app. But it was... I mean, it was absolutely critical to Facebook's success. Zuck, I think, made what will go down as maybe the top two, three best tech acquisitions of all time. And at Mm -hmm. the time, you know, we opened that episode with Jon Stewart calling it ridiculous on The Daily Show. People thought he was crazy for doing this. And it's interesting looking back and now looking ahead, you know, if you thought he was crazy then, you may think he's crazy now again with this metaverse bet. Uh, And it's kind of like how many more of these amazing bets does he have up his sleeve does he still have it right does he still have that kind of like foresight that he had with instagram um i think the judgment on whether oculus is going to go down as one of the best tech acquisitions of all time is still very much up in the air uh i bet he thinks so but yeah certainly instagram and whatsapp there's no question that facebook would be in a much weaker position in its core business today had it not bought those two apps and so oculus is no longer Oculus, right? I mean, that is meta now, too. (laughs) So we should talk about the pivot to meta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why? Why did Facebook do this? (laughs) Uh, It's a good question. Uh, We, we, to be perfectly honest, we are still putting the finishing touches on our finale that talks about this. Uh, So Mm -hmm. this is give us a sneak peek here. Something (laughs) only our listeners will hear if they come to Gadget Lab. Uh, Shireen, thoughts? I mean, would I have some thoughts, but I'm curious to hear you first. I mean, look, I think there's so much baggage associated with the Facebook brand. You know, I. I co-hosted the Google season at Land of the Giants as well. And, you know, Google is as big, bigger of a giant than Facebook, but it doesn't, I think, receive nearly as much of the heat. And I think that there's a real value, whether or not people buy it, um, there's a real value in Facebook from a purely just kind of reputational perspective, trying to put a new spin on things, trying to have a new face, a new name, a new brand. You know, it fits nicely with this interest Zuckerberg has had for a while in VR and AR. But it really, to me, is is there's there's immense value. I think Facebook, it's very apparent. We, we kind of did a deep dive into, in, in, even in season, in the episode one, into the announcement of the rebrand. And you can kind of even just hear it in Zuck's voice that he's sort of over talking about Facebook all the time, that it's bogging him down. I mean, he's a coder. He wants to go build the new shiny new tool, you know? He doesn't want to be sitting there trying to woo over politicians on both sides of the aisle to not break up his app. That's that's not fun for him, right? Like, So I think this is a chance for him to, to do something that he's actually excited about. I think that's a huge part of it. I think there is also a, like, you know, I interviewed him when he announced the rebrand and there's, I think he was, he was telling me there's a logic too of just they have a lot of apps and brands now and Instagram is arguably more relevant than Facebook. Definitely will probably make more money soon on like a yearly ad revenue basis than core Facebook. And there's WhatsApp, which is, you know, barely associated with the Facebook brand in its, you know, core markets, India, South America, you know, outside of the US. And it made sense in his mind to have an umbrella company. And, you know, I would point to this recent announcement they made where there's meta accounts now that are these kind of umbrella accounts that you can then opt to connect to your Facebook or your Instagram or your Horizon profile, which is this Roblox meets Fortnite version of Facebook for (laughs) VR and soon to be mobile and web that's coming out later this year. 
So it's really just recognizing kind of also the expansion that they've done as a company and as a brand and they're a hardware player now. And yeah, I don't think, you know, he's thinking ahead. And when you think about putting AR glasses on your face with facial recognition, eye tracking, other kinds of sensors, you don't necessarily want to be selling that as the Facebook glasses, right? You kind of want a clean slate. (laughs) Mm. Uh, If you're going to be putting stuff on the body, it's probably best to move on from that brand. What's the future of our Facebook slash meta experience? Because right now, Facebook has a way into our lives through a lot of different apps, whether it's Big Blue or WhatsApp or Instagram, etc. But like, is the future just going to be we're all living in this metaverse? Well, we haven't really talked about this yet. But a big thing we get at in the episode is actually how feeds are evolving thanks to TikTok. And so I think in the near term, what's going to happen is that, you know, if the original early developer platform era Facebook Zuck got wrong in hindsight that, you know, user data powering all this stuff uh, was the wrong way to do it and that people didn't want that. There's an interesting thing happening now where he thinks TikTok has proven that people don't necessarily care if what they're seeing in their feeds is from friends and pages and accounts they follow. They want AI and algorithms to recommend interesting stuff for them. And so what's happening, it's a little fresher. It's underway right now. And they really, I think as a company, don't have like a kind of top level aligned story on this yet, but they will have to soon, is that they're moving Facebook, the feed, Instagram already into this future where it's not based on your social graph, right? And that was the core that was the core thing that Facebook pioneered really was like we're we're just going to show you what's in what you followed and if you don't like it it's because you followed the wrong accounts. And now they're going, you know, the opposite direction. You know, we have this interview with Nick Clegg and it was one of the more interesting things that someone said to us in the series I think was He told us, you know, basically we're going to be doing what Francis Haugen accused us of, but we weren't doing at the time, which is putting our thumbs on the scale in terms of what people do actually see. Because before we were just ranking what you followed and what people were sharing from, you know, accounts that you follow. So it's going to put a lot more responsibility and I think a lot more scrutiny on them as a publisher, in a sense, with algorithms. And that's going to happen in the near term. And I, I think it's going to take a long time before we're talking about Facebook and the way we talk about MySpace. I think network effects are very strong and they're sticky and they're still good at that. Yeah, I think, look, there's always just going to be there's a physical and a cost barrier to getting right now. What is it? A three hundred dollar, you know, several pound headset on your face. And, you know, I, th- I think the metaverse can be incredibly fun. Uh, it, there's also a lot of problems with it. But I think that using it in your day-to-day life right now for long stretches of time outside of gaming or these sort of one-off capacities, we're not seeing mass adoption of that yet. And I think it it could be a a long time before we do. It's hard to say exactly when because you never know when all of a sudden, you know, everyone's going to have a mobile phone in their pocket or when when all of a sudden these headsets are going to become seamless enough with our bodies that we'll just feel comfortable using them all the time. But I think Facebook in the short to medium term is is definitely not thinking that everyone's going to jump to the metaverse and they know that they have to keep their social alive and competitive. And so they're trying, as Alex was saying, to sort of TikTokify the feed in both Facebook and Instagram. And I think that is sort of like the cash cow to fund the metaverse. And they have to keep up and you know beat TikTok if they're going to want to be able to actually see this whole metaverse vision through financially. Yeah. I mean, Zuck has been very clear that the metaverse stuff won't be an actual business until maybe the end of the decade, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a huge long-term thing still. 
And the question now is whether they can, like Shereen said, uh, afford this massive amount of runway that they need to get to this place. And it's, you know, they want to compare it to the shift to mobile. I think that's a little generous. I think this is different because they're pivoting to this thing that really doesn't exist yet and that people don't even know if they want, right? So it's a it's a lot bigger question. I think when mobile came out, it was so apparent that this was the future. You know, when you saw the original iPhone, it was like obvious that people were going to want this thing. We haven't had that moment with VR or AR yet. I actually think we will in the next couple of years. I think especially when Apple comes out with their headset, it's going to really change people's view of this technology uh, as not being just the Mark Zuckerberg production. But for now, we're not there yet. And so there's a lot of unprovenness and uncertainty in this whole push that they're having. I don't know. I got very excited when I saw the Horizon Virtual Conference Room. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you've like, I mean, you guys, it sounds like you guys, you know, we all have on here because we're all tech people, tech reporters, but like, just try to to get into a social experience on horizon on one of these headsets it takes like 20 minutes yeah and yeah, it and does. it's just you know that's the problem it's like when you're first trying i mean or even early phones like just trying to like send a text would take 10 minutes like on one of the first smartphones so uh we're in that stage we're in the like dial-up stage of the metaverse right and so of course it's not going to be mainstream yet and you know i think the technological problems on the hardware and software side can obviously be fixed and if they're throwing this much money at it they will be fixed but we're also seeing some of the same mistakes and some of the same negative patterns happening in this early metaverse, right? Like we are seeing underage users in their social environment. We're seeing, you know, women saying that they're being virtually groped and and Facebook is sort of reactive to these issues, much like they have been in the past. But I think there's a real question about, should we trust Facebook again? Um, You know, a lot of people feel that Facebook has violated their trust over the years. And I think a name change is not sort of enough to win over critics who really don't want to give even more data about themselves, physical, more visceral data about themselves in this new world. All right. Well, thank you both for being here and talking about Facebook with us. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. All right, this is the part of our show where we go around the room and we have everybody give a recommendation to our listeners about something that they might enjoy. So Shireen, let's start with you. Well, since we were talking about the metaverse, um, I am reading Snow Crash. I'm a little late to this, but it's it's the novel that coined the term metaverse and inspired it. And I went in being like, oh, man, this is going to be work. Like, this is what I do. You know, I, I want to read something totally different than tech usually in my free time. But I actually really am enjoying it. It's quite dystopian. It is entirely different than the vision of the metaverse that Mark Zuckerberg is painting, which I find hilarious. Um, and... There's such a there's such sort of an anti-privatization, anti-corporate vibe to it, which got me thinking a lot about the foundation of the internet and how there was a lot of government, you know, the, how government funding essentially uh, helped the genesis of the internet and how the metaverse could be very, very different because we're not really seeing government grants going toward this stuff. So it, it really got me thinking about this whole concept in very new ways, and I would recommend it. Nice. It's a, a big one, book too. It's a big one. <laughs> Alex, what's your recommendation? 
Mine is a TV show, and apologies if it's been mentioned on here already, uh, The Bear on FX on Hulu. Has, have you guys already talked about this? We talked about it last week, but please okay. go on. I want to hear uh, your take well, on it. I just finished it, and it is phenomenal. I can't wait for season two, the way it's shot and the acting, and it's definitely like auteur, but great. And also, like I just love shows about kitchens and chefs and people making food and huge Top Chef fan. And so seeing a dramatized, like super over the top, like people yelling at each other in a, in a kitchen <laughs> is just, just great for me. It's just great, like brain, just relaxingness uh, after a long day. So uh, I wouldn't, well, there's episodes of The Bear that are not relaxing, but um, I would say that I, I generally, I generally just love that category and I wish there were more shows like that. And it's just super, super cool. I love The Bear. It is certainly not relaxing. <laughs> Have you watched it yet? We just started it last night. Okay. And my wife uh, is a reformed chef. She used to work in a kitchen for years and years. So it's quite triggering for her, but she's being a champ uh, and we're getting way into it. It's a great, great recommendation. All right, Lauren, what's your recommendation? My recommendation this week is like a little snack of media. Shireen recommended a book and Alex recommended a series. This is going to take like 20 seconds of your time and it's going to brighten your day. There is a woman who's gone viral on TikTok um, named Taylor Blake. She's also on Instagram. She works at Knuckle Bump Farms in Florida, and she's gone viral in recent days because of a delightful emu named Emmanuel who keeps <laughs> ruining her shots. I love this clip. I it's love it. so great. Yeah. And then I've gone through like some of her back catalog and just watched more of the videos from the farm, and it's just absolutely delightful. It turns out this is not the first time that she has gone viral on the internet. I found a BuzzFeed article from several years ago where she, um, oh, what was that? That's your phone. Oh my God, it's Be Real. It's, <laughs> it's a new time, social network. It's time to be real. <laughs> Should I be real? Hold on, I gotta do this. Are you familiar with Be Real? I only have two oh. minutes to post. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Okay, yeah. hold on. Um, <laughs> Can we be in it? it? On the verge. Shoot, yes. Yeah, we, we wanna be in your Be Real. We wanna be in the Be Real? Yeah. Okay, hold on, let me pull up the Zoom. This is the and, new Facebook, right? Okay. So do I hold it down? I'm, I don't know if it's working. God, I'm yeah, so it's Yeah, it's, it's buggy right now. It's <laughs> okay, like it was just a photo. Okay, send. All right, I guess it, can I do a video? I don't know, anyway. Gosh. <laughs> um, so you guys are in it, which is awesome. Okay, sorry about that. That was a Be Real notification <laughs> because when we all move off of Facebook and Instagram, everyone, and TikTok, everyone's going to be on Be Real. Sure. That's right. Okay, um, what was I saying? You were talking about oh, the yes. BuzzFeed article. This is not the first time. Yes. Uh, years ago, she had a crush on someone who she wanted to ask out. And so she gave this person, this woman, her journal, basically, and like said, like, read it. And, and it was like a beautiful entry about like how much she liked this person and they ended up dating or whatnot. And, you know, BuzzFeed like would literally find like anything they could on the internet for a while and just make a listicle of it. And so <laughs> this woman was actually in a BuzzFeed listicle many years ago. But if you're going to watch her content now, watch her for Emmanuel, who was described by NBC News as the emu the internet has fallen in love with. He's the naughtiest bird. He's the not. Don't do it, Emmanuel. <laughs> don't don't do, it. do it. I did I just it. post my be real though. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. awesome. Okay, cool. Mike, what's your recommendation? Be real about it. Uh, so much like Shireen, I also don't like to read books about technology on my free time. However, I read an excellent book about technology on my free time while I was gone. Uh, I took a vacation and read this on my vacation. It is called Whole Earth. The Many Lives of Stuart Brand, and it's by the longtime New York Times technology journalist, John Markov. 
So Stuart mm-hmm. Brand uh, is like a, a hippie dude from he was, you know, he was around in San Francisco Bay Area in the 60s. He was a merry prankster. Uh, but then he started hanging out with Stanford people and got very into technology. He is the founder of the Whole Earth Catalog, which was uh, sort of like a blog in print that talked about all of the tools that you needed in order to live off the land. And if you were into homesteading or communal living, it had a lot of resources for that sort of activity. Uh, He later started The Well, which was one of the first big informal communities on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now he works with the Long Now Foundation. So he lives this, this sort of like Forrest Gump style existence where he has bounced around from community to community all of them very important and very influential over the years. But he has not been as celebrated as a technology pioneer because he is sort of adjacent to the big celebrated technology pioneers. So his life is really fascinating and his experience is really fascinating. And this is like the first big sort of book that's been written about him. There's also a documentary that is unrelated. It's also about Stuart Brand. It premiered last year. I think it's going to make its way into theaters and onto streaming later this year. So uh, if you're interested in this guy, he's in his 80s now and he's still vibrant and uh, active on social media. Uh, We've interviewed him a few times recently in Wired. He was around when Wired was founded. So uh, he sort of has a connection to our our publication, although I will say I do not know him, <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> so yes, great book. Check it out. The Whole Earth, Many Lives of Stuart Brand by John Markov. There was a particularly unflattering review of that book published recently as well, right? There was, yes. yes. Uh, a lot of criticism about the book is that Stuart Brand is not as interesting because he's the guy next to the important person. Uh, I would argue that that's false. Also, the book is just really good. So if you like biographies of people who are interesting, then you'll like this one. So you give it your wholehearted recommendation. I do. Here's a fo- That was a stretch. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. Here's a photograph of my whole heart. <laughs> thank you for that. All right. Well, that is our show. Shireen and Alex, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You can find all six seasons of Land of the Giants on Vox.com or Maybe the same application you're using to listen to this podcast, you can find it there. The sixth season premiered last week, and new episodes will continue to roll out through the rest of the summer. Thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. Goodbye, and we will be back next week. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.